Thanks. Have a seat. My name is Brad, and I apologize for all the technical issues we had at the beginning of this. It's not my fault. It's the internet. We can blame them, right? Or it's the amount of Seahawks colors that we see here today that's causing the problems. One of those. Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, we are continuing in our Joel series. Uh, if you have your Bibles or you have the app, open up to Joel chapter 2, verse 18, and read along with me. Oh, by the way, did any of y'all lose a ring? No? Okay, finders keepers, Liz, this one's yours. Uh, it does not fit my finger, and it doesn't look very masculine around my pinky, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a problem. Okay, here it is, verse 18, chapter 2 of Joel. Then the Lord will be jealous for his land. He will take pity on his people. The Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain and new wine and oil enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive a northern army far from you, pushing into a parched and barren land with its columns going to the eastern sea and those in the rear going to the western sea. And its stench will go up. Its smell will rise. That's graphic. Surely he has done great things. Be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Surely he has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals. For the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord. For he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness and he sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm. My great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is none, no other. Never again will my people be shamed. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for messages like this in Joel that are weird and frightening, but they show us a picture of you that we forget. So may you open our ears, open our hearts to your message to the Israel, people of Israel in Joel, but also how this applies to our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, my five-year-old Judah, he was, he was running around here in the red sweater a few minutes ago. He'll be back because he gets away. Uh, but he, was, he has started school, in-person school. We found a preschool up in, up in Edmonds that is in person and if you've experienced my son Judah, there is no way that kid is standing online for any amount of time. He can barely sit still when he sleeps. And so the online thing wasn't going to happen for him. And so we found a place that works. It's doing all this mitigation stuff, so we feel good about it. Uh, if Carrie feels even better because she's not having to wrestle two very active boys. And instead, she can just spend time with Caleb and somebody else has Judah as their issue. And so it's been wonderful. Uh, and I love to hear what Judah's learning. And so I'll sit down at the dinner table after, and I get home, and I go, hey, bud, what'd you learn in school? And he doesn't tell me. He just goes, 
I don't know. He's like 13 already, but he's five. He'll be five on Wednesday. I don't know. Okay. And so the way I've learned to get him to talk to me is I say, hey, Carrie, what did Judah learn in school? And then Carrie asks him, and then he talks. And then we hear all about it. Here's the concept that I love that his school taught him. It's this idea about bucket filling. You ever heard of this? Uh, When I first heard him talk about it, I thought it was some weird game he was playing with sand and water. But no, bucket filling is this. It's a term that he and his classmates use. Uh, You see, each of us in our hearts has a bucket. It's profound. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome that a five-year-old's getting this. And each of our buckets need to be filled with something. We can either fill them with love or we can have them emptied. And if you are filling other people's buckets with love, you're being helping or you're being kind, you're playing with somebody, you're complimenting their non-fluorescent green and blue sweaters, uh, you're, you're, you're complimenting what they're into, you're, you're being nice. And when you do so, you become, it's disgusting, you become a bucket filler. Now, if you walk up to somebody and you're wearing these colors that Steve Terrell has on and, you're, and, and Bev, and you're wearing these and, and you become a bucket dipper, that means that you're taking love out of people's buckets. <laughs> Got you too. Okay. So Judah has come home and he says, I had my bucket filled today with this and Jackson played with me or, or Avery, which is his school girlfriend played with him and it's five and this is what he calls her so but this is the thing you don't want to be a bucket dipper you don't want to take things out of people's buckets the goal of your life is to have a full bucket where you feel loved and seen and heard and appreciated so friday we were waiting for my car one of our cars to get fixed at costco and during the wait we didn't know how long it was going to take it's costco and could take days and so we decided to go to a park at this park had swings, it had slides, it had woods, and in the back of the woods, it had a zip line. And I'm sure I exceed the maximum capacity of that zip line, but I did it anyways. And on the way home, we played at that park for hours. On the way home, Judas says this, oh, my bucket is full. And I was like, oh, we did it. I mainly felt cold and tired and my feet were wet, but I'm glad he felt full. I was freezing. But here's why I bring this up been having a lot of conversations with people lately, both people who go to this church and then people that I run into at my gym or other places. We have a lot of empty buckets around us. Maybe your bucket is empty. I've come away with this, that people's buckets desperately need some filling. And here's the problem. You can say that these buckets are indicative of our souls. We're dry. And it makes sense as to why we've been through a lot in the last 11 months. Some of us have been feeling dry and empty for much, much longer. Maybe this dryness has been going on more than this past year. Perhaps your bucket has been feeling dry for the past few years now. And these past few months have just exposed the reality that you're running on fumes. My dad and I used to have this game with our gas tanks and our cars. How close can we get to running out of gas before we get gas? And so if you sputter into the gas station to get filled up, you win. Many of us have been playing that game right now with our hearts. We're empty and we're sputtering around and we're not going to make it to another gas station. 
we're going to run out here. We blame the pandemic. We blame social unrest. We blame uh, Biden supporters. We blame Trump supporters. We blame everything, right? But the result is this. We're empty and we're dry. We can blame whoever we want to blame to our empty and dryness, but it doesn't take away from the reality. Many of us have been strong for so long, and now we're at a breaking point. We swallowed emotions. We buried our grief. We've put on the brave face, but we're worn out. Many of you are beyond tired. You're beyond discouraged. It seems like life is stolen from you, and you're disappointed. The reasons why our buckets are so dry are many, and I'm sure we could take comments from here and to the folks online as to what is causing dryness, but today... There's an invitation in the book of Joel to have your bucket filled again. And today we need to find that refreshment. I keep saying this every time we talk about scripture because I love it. But in scripture, you find yourself in all of its pages. This is why scripture is alive and living and breathing. Because no matter what you're going through, you can open up the pages and for sure find yourself. I believe that we find ourselves in dryness. And it mirrors the dryness that the people of Israel found themselves in. And their refreshment can be our refreshment. Now we're in the week three of Joel. And and as we said in the beginning, there's really no reason that Joel gives why all of this bad stuff has happened. That's not the point of Joel. All we can say is, look at this stuff has happened. You're not going to avoid it. It's there. How did, now, Joel gives us the thing. This is how you get back to being filled. Your bucket's empty. Let's not worry about how it happened. Let's get you back to being full again. The locusts have come. They've devoured everything. However, it's not supposed to be like this. Israel wasn't supposed to be dry and desolate like this. They didn't begin this way. Before the locusts came... They were a powerhouse nation. People would come to Israel to see the great temple that Solomon built. They would see their nations. They were an arms dealer. They were a superpower. People were afraid of Israel. The queen of Sheba raved about its success. They were living a good life. God was blessing Israel like he said he would in Genesis 12. Like he said he would at the end of Exodus. Like he said he would in Deuteronomy. But something happened. Something shifted. The people shifted. Here's where it begins. Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you have your Bibles, it's back towards the beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth one. I had to use my thumb. It's the fifth one. Moses, who led the people out of Egypt, is giving his final charge to the people of Israel. He's saying, look, this is how far we've come. I want to give you a warning. He tells them, this is what you're going to have to do to succeed. In verse 15, he says, see, I've set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and keep his commands, the decrees and the laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord will bless you and the land you possess. Essentially, What Moses is saying is like, hey, you want your bucket filled? Love God. Don't don't take off after idols. Find your satisfaction in him. If you don't, in verse 17, if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day you will be destroyed. 
You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day, Moses says, I call on the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land. He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you see this warning? You want a full bucket? Find your satisfaction in God. You want to be dry and desolate? Chase down other gods. Pretty simple, right? If you're Israel, you're like, well, that's easy. I want to live. I want to choose life. Who wants to choose death? I want to choose life. Israel didn't choose life. Instead, over time, they began to do their own rules. They brought in false gods of Moloch and Baal, and they began to worship them. And instead of having their buckets filled by God, they started to find other ways to think they thought fill their bucket. They pursued other gods. And slowly but steadily, and this is how it happens, it's never an abrupt change. It's always slow and steady. It's one degree off for a number of miles, which leads you thousands of miles away from your target. It's slow and steady, and this is what they did. They brought in a bunch of other stuff. And despite the warnings, they began to call things that were evil good. And they began to call things that were good evil. By the time Ezekiel rolls around, this is what we see. He, uh, Ezekiel in chapter 8, verse 16. Now these are all the things that led up to the climax of what's happening in Joel. In Ezekiel chapter 8, Ezekiel's brought into the inner courts of the house of the Lord. And there at the entrance of the temple, between the portico and the altar, were about 25 men. Ezekiel describes it as this. Their backs were towards the temple of the Lord, and their faces were towards the east, and they were bowing down to the sun. So in the temple, their backs turned to what God was doing and all of the promises that God had, and instead, they're worshiping the sun. The complete shift, everything that Moses has said, they have gone and did the opposite. It was a big deal. Even though maybe in their mind, they're just like, hey, this is a beautiful thing that they're worshiping the sun and we're giving thanks to the sun. And God goes, no, 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 no. You're worshiping the sun instead of the creator of the sun. You're worshiping a false god here. It's a huge deal. It's not trivial. Instead of choosing life, they followed their own appetites. They followed their own culture. And it was leading them to destruction. Ezekiel goes on to foreshadow these things. Division, exile, locusts, desolation, dryness. Famine will come on the land. It's hard to hear, but you and I, or I and you, however the grammar is supposed to say, we have a lot in common with Israel. We like making our own rules, right? I sure don't like to be told what to do and what not to do. We like living to our own standards. We like setting up our own guides. We like to decide what's right and what's not. And like Israel, we follow our own appetites. And the result has been dryness when we thought we would find satisfaction. And the dryness is everywhere. It's national. Whoever thought this election was going to solve the division in our country was absolutely crazy. 
we are more divided than ever our nation is. And to think that any president, whoever he or she may be, is going to unify this place, it's a moonshot. We're divided. We've crawled into our political camps. We're, and we're all in different places when it comes how to fight the virus. We don't listen to one person because we might disagree with them about something else. And if we disagree with somebody, we just don't cordially disagree with someone. We demonize them. We call them names. And this is how we are right now. We're divided and we've siloed ourselves. Called one side good, one side evil. This is a symptom of dryness. It's not just our political dryness. It's also in the church. The church is divided, not just theologically. That's kind of fun stuff to divide about. We're divided ethically. There's debates and divisions among the most core beliefs in Scripture. We've called good things unacceptable, and we've called unacceptable things good. We've erased the idea of sin. We've erased the idea of personal responsibility with clever arguments that require a lot of biblical gymnastics in order to make them fit. Our homes are divided. Families struggling to stay together. We avoid intimacy both with our spouses but also with our children. We numb ourselves, and I fall into this too. We numb ourselves with our devices, with our phones or televisions. We care more about the image of our families than what we actually are as a family. Mentally, we're divided. We're more stressed than ever. The endless pursuit to keep up with what everyone else is doing has left us in major debt. It's left us over-medicated. It's left us chasing status and fame. And we're broken. We're more broken than ever. We're more lonely than ever, even though we have the world at our fingertips and all the virtual connection we can have. We're broken. We're lonely. We've been chasing after what we thought would bring us refreshment for the longest time. And instead, what's happened is it's left us empty. We're physically dry. We're emotionally dry. We're relationally dry. And we're spiritually dry. We've chased the idea of wholeness for too long. And our buckets are empty. We desperately, desperately need some bucket filling. We are in need of satisfaction. This is why this turning point in Joel 2 is so appropriate for today. Because to a people that were dry and empty, look what God promises them. In Joel 2.19, the Lord replied to them, I am sending you new grain, new wine, new olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Now there's a lot here in this passage. There's some critical observations and I just want to make some. What's different about this grain? First thing, the people get to eat it. In Joel chapter 1, the locusts come in. The locusts are the ones that are destroying everything. Now, the people are eating. Not only are they eating, they're eating enough to satisfy them fully. For the longest time, they've, been sat, they've, they've thought they were satisfied. But all it's done is sent them into empty pursuits. And this, this is a little... Joel is kind of tying together how he opened the book to what God is going to fix. In the beginning of chapter 2, it says, maybe, maybe God will send restoration. In this verse, it says, God will. He answers and says, I will bring what you're looking for and you will be satisfied. It says oil and wine. Oil and wine had a 
bunch of purposes. They were used in worship. So God's saying, look, you're going to start worshiping again. It's going to be great. But also oil and wine are used as healing solutions. Oil and wine were used as the good Samaritan to bind up the wounds. David says, anoints my head with oil to soothe the sheep's cuts and bruises that they've picked up along the way. Not only is God going to satisfy if you pursue him, he'll also heal. God heals, God satisfies the years of dryness that comes. Have you ever had your hands so dry that they start to crack and it's painful? God says, I want to heal those. I want to heal what's going on with you. I want to mend your dryness. Now, the other thing is, who, who is saying this? The Hebrew answers it this way. I will. It's not anybody else. It's not Joel. It's not the guy down the street. It's not the dude with the cool podcast that we listen to or the article that we read on the New York Times. God is saying, I'm the one who's going to be doing this. I'm the one who's responding. I will respond. I will send these things. They're not going to find it while chasing Baal. They're not going to find it while worshiping and sacrificing to Moloch or the sun god. It's coming from God himself. God is the one to restore. God is the only one to bring healing. They were broken relationally, but God tells them, look, I'm not abandoning you. They were broken spiritually. God says, our relationship is intact. They were broken physically, and God says, I'm your God. They were broken emotionally, and God says he is the basis of their confidence. God will do these things. He's the ultimate bucket filler. Lay aside the false pursuits. Not only will God satisfy fully, it'll be ongoing. Watch what happens here. Be glad in verse 23. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you autumn rains because he is faithful and he sends abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. Now we hear that and go, great, more rain. That's all we need. But to a nation where their whole crop and their whole economy is based on rain and farming, autumn rains mean that they can get out there and plow the land early. They can plant. Spring rains mean that there is an abundance of water so they don't have to worry about whether they'll have enough. Their crops are going to grow. And the fact that it's bookended, autumn and spring, which is their time of planting and harvesting, autumn and spring means that it's a constant source of provision. I'm going to provide for you, but I'm not just going to provide this season, it's going to be ongoing. The rain says, uh, God says, I'm sending the rain to show you my faithfulness, to show you my righteousness, in order to show his restoration like it was before, like it was before they went chasing off their own rules, like it was before when they tried to satisfy themselves. But it's different here than was before. We always think, well, when we say this now, I can't wait to get back to normal, right? I can't wait for life to return. I can't wait for this to happen. But God says, I don't want you to get back to normal. I don't want you to get back to the way it was. I want you better. And this is what God says. He says, look, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. The word repay is the Hebrew word shalom, which sounds a lot like shalom, and it's meant to shalom, which means completeness, better than you were before, wholeness. 
I will bring you wholeness. I will bring you fullness. Every other pursuit will lead to locust and famine and emptiness, but I am the only source of completion. In John 4, this is one of my favorite passages. In John 4, Jesus is walking through the desert of Samaria, comes upon a well at Bethel. It was hot. It was the time of the day when no one else would go to the well unless you were avoiding awkward conversations. So here's Jesus sitting at a well. A woman comes up. She's trying to avoid people and she sees Jesus and she's probably going, oh boy. So Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. The woman was getting water. She's dipping her bucket in the water. So Jesus says, can I have a drink? And instead of engaging Jesus, she turns to politics. She says, look, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Not only this, you're a Jewish man, and I'm a Jewish woman. We don't talk. So please don't talk to me. She's wanting to talk about politics. And Jesus keeps going. Jesus asked, essentially saying, your political discussions aren't going to quench your thirst here. You could talk about the divides between us all you want. It's not going to fix anything. That water will never satisfy you. So she decides, okay, now we're going to talk about theology. She brings up this idea of Jacob and how Jacob ate a drink from this well. And this is why this well is great. And you Jews think that, that it should be in Jerusalem, but we worship here. One of the divides between Samaritan and Jewish people was that they worshiped at different locations. And so she brought up theology. Well, I can't get you on politics. I'm going to get you on the Bible. And we're going to argue about this because that'll make me feel smart and happy and good. And Jesus answers, basically, your clever theological arguments won't satisfy you either. I'm the only one who can quench your thirst. So finally, she, in sarcasm, and I can appreciate sarcasm a lot, she says, great. Then if none of these things will satisfy me, give me some water, won't you? And Jesus says, Cynicism won't get you very far either. It won't satisfy you. So he asks her to go get her husband. And she says, she's not married. And Jesus says, I know. You've been married five times and the guy you're with right now isn't your husband. So relationships won't satisfy you. So Jesus says, look, only those who find their satisfaction in God will find the living water that'll quench every single thirst that they have. And she replies, yeah. That'll be the day. And Jesus says, today's the day. And he says in, in verse 26, I'm the one. I am he speaking to you. I'm the one who brings the water. Or to keep my, my version of the translation going, I'm the satisfaction you're looking for. You're dipping your bucket in this water here, thinking it's going to bring you satisfaction. How's that going for you? How's it leading you? The same question to you today. What well do you stand yourself in by? You're dipping your bucket into the water, hoping it's going to come back full and complete you. How's it working? Is it? Is the argument and trying to be the smartest person in the room really going well for you? How many people have you convinced? None? How many times are you going to keep pursuing political problems and, and thinking if I just solve the politics, I'll solve the, the problem with the kingdom of God? How's that going for you? It's not. 
we can talk about our issues till we're blue and red in the face, depending on your side of the argument. The only thing that's going to solve those things is Jesus. That bucket doesn't work. You're going from relationship to relationship, friendship, friendship to friendship, or, or, or spouse to spouse, I don't know, wherever you are. And you're thinking that if I just find the one, I'll be happy. No, you won't. I hate to break it to you. You're not. If I could just get this next hit, if I could just get this next paycheck, if I can just click on that site for 10 minutes, I'll be fine. No, you won't. It's going to leave you more dry than before. What well do you stand out today? Where are we at? How's it working? Is it working? Perhaps today you stop pursuing wholeness and completion from other sources because those sources are leaving you more empty than you were before. You might feel like you're full, but you're going to be hungry again in 20 minutes. What bucket are you today? May I encourage you? Let's find our source of wholeness completeness, reign, and restoration, and healing from the only person who can. Give us those things. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are a good God who brings us good gifts. You satisfy us fully. May we find our satisfaction only in you. In the words of the wise prophet Mick Jagger, We can't find satisfaction anywhere else. Only in you will we find it. May we pursue you. May we lay down the other things that we think are giving us hope, but they're not. May we lay those down. May we lay down these petty divisive things that we hold on to. Because we think we look smart. Lord, may we put those away because those aren't doing any good. Like the woman at the well, may we come to realize that we are face to face with Jesus, the Messiah, the one who is going to make everything whole again. May we become face to face with you. Have that experience of filling and then do what she did. Go into her town and let everyone know who she just met. Lord, would you come fill our buckets today? In Jesus' name.